This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by The Good Book Company, publisher of His Grace is Enough by Melissa Kruger. Building on the popular book, Wherever You Go, I Want You to Know, this book helps kids grasp the good news of God's grace. Enter the promo code GRACE to get 25% off at thegoodbook.com. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a panel discussion from TGC's 2021 National Conference on how discipleship strengthens the church. My name is Melissa Kruger, um, and this is the panel on discipleship, building churches one life at a time. We're so glad you could join us. Um, we're glad you could join us if you're here in person or if you're watching virtually. So thank you for coming and being a part. Um, I'm going to start with panel introductions. So we're just going to go down and introduce ourselves. Sure. I'm Trillia Newbell. I'm a writer, speaker, and so glad to be here from Franklinish, Tennessee. I'm Vanessa Hawkins. I'm the Director of Women's Ministry at First Presbyterian Church, Augusta, and the Diversity Advisor for PCA Women's Ministry. I'm Courtney Doctor, and I'm the Coordinator of Women's Initiatives for the Gospel Coalition. Mm. Um, One thing all of us love to do is disciple. Um, And just we've all seen the benefits of being discipled in our own life and discipling others. So I'm just going to ask some questions, and we're going to go through this, and hopefully it will be helpful. Um, So the first thing I think that's helpful to talk about is what do we even mean when we talk about discipleship? Um, How would you define it, and where do we see it in Scripture? So Vanessa, will you kick us off with that easy question? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, The concept of discipleship is throughout Scripture. I mean, we see it in the Gospels, we see it in Acts, uh, the pastoral epistles, but I think maybe the most direct and the most comprehensive teaching about discipleship is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And in that, Jesus is calling the disciples to uh, be, well, go and make disciples. and uh, teaching them to obey all the things that he has commanded. And that's a pretty big uh, pursuit in that teaching to obey all that God has commanded is a lifelong process. And so I would describe discipleship as one, it's that coming from darkness to light, it's coming from death to life, that's that conversion experience where we begin to follow Christ 
but then it's being imitators of Christ. Paul says, be imitators of Christ as dear children. Uh, but more than just walking where he walked and doing the things he did, it's also growing in affection for him. It is growing in our worship and in our loving devotion for him. And so, uh, I guess a brief description, I think of discipleship in this way, lifelong growing in the knowledge of the Lord, lifelong growing in, um, growing in his likeness, and then lifelong growing in um, affections for him as well. And, and then finally, we do all of those things until we finally see the Lord. And so growing in the knowledge of the Lord, growing in the likeness of the Lord, growing in our passions and our desires for the Lord until we see the Lord. Mm. And, then Jan, and then John tells us when we do see him, we will be like him, mm. for we'll see him as he is. I, I love what you just said. Discipleship isn't, oh, you become like me. Mm. Yeah, I just love how you're saying, no, it's all about being like the Lord. And so as I'm walking toward the Lord, I'm helping you walk toward the Lord. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. really good. Absolutely. Hey, Courtney, truly anything to add? The only thing I was thinking is that it's also in relationship to others. So the, Jesus is telling his disciples to go and do these things, to teach others to obey. Yeah. So, so you're going to teach people. That's where discipleship is mm-hmm. where, formed and how it's, it's lived out and walked out is in a relationship or some, in some way of you going and doing that with one another. Mm-hmm. And so that was the only thing I was, I was thinking. It's, it's so good and so rich. So I really liked it. Thanks. Yeah, that's excellent. Courtney, anything else? Or? Well, I think just what Trillia just said, we're going to just bounce <laughs> off each other this whole time. But what Trillia just said, the whole idea, Jesus had 12 disciples. I mean, that's how he started yeah. the church. He didn't come with this, you know, big platform. He invested heavily daily life on life with 12 men and because he knew 11 of them were going to go and 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 he gave the message to them he made sure that they were well taught that they understood that they were equipped to to then go and do likewise and wow. fulfill the great commission because when he gave the great commission right he was giving it to men that he had just done that for and done yeah. that with um, and that's that's an amazing thing that he entrusted the message of salvation for the world to 11 men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a passage that speaks to that is Ephesians 4. Um, and it talks about how he gave some to be shepherds and leaders mm-hmm. for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the short definition I mm-hmm. use, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so it's twofold. Mm-hmm. It's not just equipping, it's expectant. Yeah. And so, you know, as we equip, what we're not doing is I'm not just pouring into Trillia and saying, so you are... No, I'm pouring into you because you're going to pour into others. And this right. is how the church has always been built. It's not anything new, um, but this is from the very beginning. I am, I'm just passing the baton. What I know about Jesus today, I'm passing on to you, and I'm going to be grabbing the baton from someone else who's a lot older than me and still learning. So I'm constantly learning and growing, and I'm constantly passing on mm-hmm. to someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's really a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. picture. It is. Um, Well, so one thing, I want to get a little bit personal for a minute. So I want to talk about who has discipled you and what did you learn from their example? And I'm actually going to start down with Courtney. Okay, well, I think you're starting with me because it's a little bit of a funny story, but 
I, I didn't know I needed somebody to disciple me. I was just coming to know the Lord. I was in my early 20s. We had moved to Jackson, Mississippi, and I had two small boys and felt like the Lord was calling me to go back to school. So we put an ad in the newspaper for somebody to babysit our children for two or three days while I was in class. And a woman answered the ad. She started coming and babysitting, but it was, it was just God's way of bringing this woman into my life because she, she just was really direct and challenged me and asked me questions about my brand new walk with the Lord. And then this woman would go home after, so she would watch my children and then she would stay and talk with me. Then something would just be burdened on her heart. She would write me a letter, maybe three, four pages handwritten about the Lord and about how I needed to be pursuing him. I mean, she was not going to let me off easily. It wasn't, it was what you just said. It wasn't just about, hey, you know, I, I need to learn how to, you know, make a better meal or whatever. I mean, she wanted me to pursue the Lord. And her investment of time to, to talk with me, to write me letters, to invest in me, to challenge me. So that was, it was a, it wasn't a formal discipleship relationship. But it's a relationship that I think back on so often, and, and I wonder often, am I pursuing him passionately enough that this dear woman, Jean, would be pleased to see my pursuit of him? She wasn't going to be satisfied with anything less. That's great. I love just that she spoke in. She wasn't afraid. And I, I know sometimes <laughs> as an older person, a younger person, I'm like, oh, if I tell them something, they might not want to be in relationship with me anyway. And, and it's important to remember they're rejecting the truth of scripture, not rejecting me. And so I can be bold and loving and both they're, they're not in opposition to one another. And it, we may not know, she probably didn't know in that moment what she was doing was impacting you, but no. now she does if she didn't know before. <laughs> what about you, Vanessa? Or, or yeah, any mini mimo. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, when I, when I think of who my, one of my earliest disciples, that's my grandmother. My, my grandmother was very arthritic all of my life from my earliest memories of her. And I can remember her just walking down the hall, just trying to hold herself steady. But to see her get on those arthritic knees every morning mm. to pray mm. and then to pull herself up. And I would always kind of wonder if she could. That, that sermon put, plays in my head about pers persevering and loving the Lord. I see a picture of that. Um, and then she would make her way to the, the living room and she would, uh, she had a lift chair and she would sit down with her old tattered Bible and a uh, tattered Bible. And she would pass me my book of Bible stories from the time I, that's my earliest memories. And so she would sit down and she plopped me down mm. and it was Bible study. And that was every day. That's what we did every day. My, from the earliest time I could hold a book till I was five and ready to go to school. Mm. So my love for the Lord, what she did was she... Um, she modeled loving the Lord for me in such a way that I couldn't help but love him. Mm -hmm. And so um, mm -hmm. that was my earliest discipleship. I love that. Yeah. Love That's that. the only grandmother on the panel. That's so encouraging to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. and, and we hear those testimonies yeah. of, of uh -huh. grandmothers that prayed for and that modeled yeah. Their, their walk with the Lord. And it makes me think of Lois and Eunice. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I didn't become a Christian until the age of 22. So I needed disciples. 
<laughs> I didn't know anything about the Lord at all, barely. And so when I became a Christian, I was eager to, to learn from anyone who would teach me. And so there was an older woman who would allow me to, she, I say allow, she welcomed me mm. to come to her home. And, um, and she had six kids, maybe five at the time. And, and so she would be doing whatever her, her life, and she just invited me in. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't anything formal, mm -hmm. but it was still discipleship because she, we would talk about the Lord and she would be doing her thing. And she didn't feel this need to dress up herself or to be a, a perfect mm -hmm. version of herself. It was like her house was trash <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she knows it, so it's not. <laughs> and she welcomed me in. And so it was good. And so from, from, the beginning, when I first became a Christian, it was pretty instilled in me mm. that I could not walk this walk without someone. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, so I have always had some kind of discipleship or discipling relationship. Yeah. Um, and usually with an older woman. Yeah. yeah. I love each of these because they're different but similar. And what I would say, if you want to take like a few points, discipleship is bold, what Courtney talked about. It's bold love for another Vanessa, what I think about with your grandmother is integrity. It's, it's the personal integrity mm. of someone walking with the Lord mm. is always going to make the biggest impact than having necessarily all the right answers or whatever, but that daily faithfulness mm -hmm. of walking with Jesus will make you someone who disciples others. Mm. I fully believe that. As I am growing in Him, I will grow. And then hospitality. Mm. It's like we often think of hospitality, I think, like Martha Stewart. And the reality is this woman was hospitable in a way that let you into her life. And the best hospitality we can give is if we introduce someone to Jesus, we're introducing them to eternity. And so all of these things are just ways to be bold, to have integrity, and to be hospitable. Those are really practical ways that we can come alongside people and disciple them within the context of our own life. Someone who really impacted me was actually a high school teacher of mine. Um, she, was, she chose to teach in the public high school, and she was there as a missionary. Um, and it was through her life that I really started to understand what a relationship with Christ was. And she was so impactful on me. She was one of those bold people. She was bold. She would tell you what you were doing wrong. Um, but I loved it. I loved it because she really helped me. She was constantly saying, she had integrity, and she was saying, don't you be up there leading our fellowship group if you haven't been spending time with the yeah. Lord. And so I, I just, these people impacted all of us. And I think probably, I know for me, the investment I received is what made me so deeply desirous to invest in others yes. in the same way. 100%. Because that life on life, they put flesh on what it means to be patient, mm -hmm. on what it means to be kind, on what it means to be loving. And so while we can read, be all those things, <laughs> when you see it lived in front of you, it's really helpful to understand how to do it. So I think we can all say, and I'm sure everyone in here and everyone watching can talk about people who have been examples to them. Well, Trulia, I'm going to ask you this question because I think this is really helpful because I think a lot of people want to be discipled and they don't know, how do I do that? Like, yeah. what do I do? I see these people. I'd love to ask them questions, but I don't know how to do it. So any advice, like get practical with us, any advice on how to do it? Absolutely. I am one who just asks. And so, <laughs> and it sounds easier than it is. 
because you have to be prepared for someone to say, I don't have time yeah. or to reject you or to never respond back. And, and so there, there is a sort of, you know, fear and trepid, you know, oh, I don't know if I can ask, but most people are so honored that you would consider them to disciple you. So practically speaking, I think one of the things to do is just to be bold and go and ask for help, Mm. Um, which means another practical thing. I really believe the local church is essential. So I was able to look at the landscape and see what women can assist and help me grow, which there were plenty, because I was a part of a local church. So being a part, which I guess is a practical step, investing in the local body and so that you can can go and find people to ask, I think is, mm. is essential. But I also want to talk, if I may, to the person who is able to disciple, which all of us are, but you're, you're just holding back. I would also <laughs> encourage you to pursue mm-hmm. people. Yes. Pursue people because they, they may be afraid. They may be, I wasn't terribly afraid, but I do know a lot of people who come to me and they'll ask me and they are intimidated or they're fearful. And I'm like, what? I'm just a stupid sinner like you. Let's do this. <laughs> and, so, and so I think if, if you are an older um, man or woman, there are people in your lives and in your congregations who are longing to be discipled. So I just want to encourage you to go and do pursue people as well. That's great. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Pursue either way. Either way. Either way. That's really good. And to encourage people, I would say I asked three women in my 30s. So by the time I I realized I needed somebody to disciple me, I asked three women and they all said no. And it, I think that whole experience was so helpful because it has shaped how I respond when, when women ask. But I also think for any of you that are in the role that Melissa was talking about earlier, that you are in a role that you can equip the saints for the work of ministry, equip women and men to be able to say yes. Make them feel like they give them the tools they That's need really in order yeah. to say, I can do this because I can, I can walk you through a book of the Bible. Um, and there are so many great resources available. Melissa's book, Growing Together, yes. David Helm's book, um, Reading the Bible One on One. There are so many great practical tools and resources that, that it's part of our equipping the church so that, so that people say yes. It's really good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I think sometimes asking people to disciple me can sounds like a really big thing. <laughs> sounds like this big nebulous, you know, I got to lay down my life for you. For you. Um, and so sometimes I think if we kind of um, ask them something more specifically about what we want to be discipled in. That's good. So, for instance, even if it's... Um, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? I'd love to talk to you about how you've done this in life. That's a, that's a lot more, a lot less intimidating than saying disciple me. And so sometimes I think that the, how we ask it can get us a little uh, a more success sometimes too. Yes. I think. Can yes. I affirm that? Yes. Because I, she's exactly right. There was one woman who I knew she's not going to be doing a Bible study or whatever, but I said, hey, my daughter is like screaming in the <laughs> on the floor. Can you help me with that? She was like, that I can help you with. Right. And so that was, that's really good, Vanessa. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And I think I will say um, it's just asking for coffee or a meal 
first rather than, will you disciple me? Because the, yeah. the mentor hears, will you do this for the rest of my life? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and right. it's terrifying. Yeah. Right. I'm a big fan of having four specific things. Oh, um, let's hear. What you're asking them to do, when you're asking them to do it, how long and what. I think those are my... So you would ask somebody, would you be willing to read the book of Ephesians with me twice a month um, at a coffee shop for the school year? You know, as specific as possible. Would you be willing to meet with me over the summer once a week so we can talk about marriage? I mean, the, mm -hmm. those things can change, but the more specific you are, either in the ask or in the the setting up of the relationship where there's an end date yes. and a specified time. Yes. It's just very freeing then when you come to the end of that school year or you come to the end of that summer to be able to say, because Melissa, what you started off with was this is not just, I want to pour into your life for the rest of your life. This right. is, I want to pour into your life. So you then are equipped to go do That's likewise. Good. So this isn't good. just great encouragement over coffee. We're actually equipping for ministry to others. So, so it, that content matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Helpful. Those are great. Yeah. And if you are running, if you're looking for practical tips on how to run a discipleship ministry or a mentoring ministry in your church, I'm going to give just a couple of ideas. Cause sometimes I think these are, most of ours were organic, mm -hmm. you know, and so they just happen. But I have found that sometimes if there's been no culture of discipleship in a church, mm -hmm. there's no organic, mm -hmm. this is not happening. Mm -hmm. So one thing we did in our church, because I kept getting people asking, I'd love a mentor, I'd love a mentor. And it was always this, it's like matchmaking or something. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Who's going to fit? I need an app. I need a dating app. I need an app. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I need a mentoring dating app. Um, and so one thing we did, we wanted mentoring to be about the topic not about the person necessarily. We wanted people to really consider where they needed to grow spiritually. And we also arranged these groups in groups of one mentor to one, one to two to four people. Because sometimes that actually works better and keeps everybody on topic mm -hmm. um, rather than, because sometimes mentoring relationships can devolve into, yeah. my life is crazy and there was so much traffic and you mm -hmm. spend an hour doing that. And then you spend two minutes on prayer requests or something like that. Um, and so we formed these groups. Um, we formed them all over the city that we lived in. And we put the time on them and we put the topics. So one of the, we would normally do a book study. So it might be praying together. It might be reading a book of the Bible together and studying that. You know, all sorts of things. One time it was a systematic theology book. And we did different things like that. And all we did was say the time and then they signed up. So they actually didn't know who their mentor was going to be. And that saved us a lot of headache on both ways, because then if no one signed up for Courtney's systematic theology, it was, they didn't want to do that. It wasn't, I don't want Courtney oh, to be my mentor. Oh, man. Poor I know, I'd go find them. I'd make them come. I'm discipling you. So it just helped. So that's just a practical idea. And what I saw happen, so we did that, and I was in that for about eight years. And what I saw start to happen was, then it started to happen organically. So we set up a program, but then what would happen is three women who were good friends would go to an older woman and they knew how to do it. They would say, for a year, will you go through this mothering book with us? Because we're on the same life stage. So it started to happen, but they had to have a vision for how it could happen before the organic could happen. And so I do think as we try to do this in our churches, coming up with creative ways to provide a system that can lead to relationship 
um, is a great way to just start thinking through some, some different ideas. Um, okay, so Vanessa, how about this? What elements are crucial for a discipleship relationship? How is, how is it different than friendship or counseling? Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. I think we've named a lot of those dynamics that need to be at play. I mean, you've called out the integrity, the hospitality. Um, I would add to the hospitality piece that that not only means, as, as Trillia's example, that had nothing to do with keeping a good house, not at all. <laughs> but what it did, and, and, and of course, keeping, if you keep a good house, good for you. That's yeah. awesome. Um, but that's not what discipleship is primarily about. But this hospitality that we're talking about, that's more than being welcome into a clean home. That's also your story and all of its messiness is welcome here. Yeah. That, that I want to hear that, that there's a sense of welcome for you and all that you bring. Uh, so that, that hospitality as well. So I, I think it's different from friendship um, in that um, with mentorship and with discipleship, the goal is to make them look like Jesus, to help them to grow and to look like Jesus. Uh, a friendship may not have that type of end goal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's much different than counseling in, in that, um, you know, discipleship, again, the end goal is to look like Christ. And uh, people may raise things in the context of discipleship that require you to maybe refer them to someone. If they're talking about, you know, I don't know, domestic abuse or self-harm or uh, suicidal ideations or anything like that, it may be time to pull a counselor in. Mm -hmm. Um, but discipleship, the, the end goal is that they might look like Christ. And I would say that that also requires that investment, that sense of investment. I, I think about how Paul said it to the church at Galatia, that I'm in the birth of, I'm in child, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's serious investment. I want to see Christ develop in you so bad it hurts. It's, yeah. it's kind of what he's saying. And so it's having that type of investment and in wanting people to look like Christ. I think those That's are the good. dynamics I would. So yeah. we're inviting you to labor pains for discipleship. <laughs> Breathe deeply. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that question? Like what, what's crucial for discipleship? Any other? Vanessa got it. Vanessa I think she did. I think she got it. Yeah, I mean, I what what else it. can we add? Oh, right? stop. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I do think that whole focus on pointing someone to Jesus. As I follow Jesus, follow me. And yeah. then we're going to follow him together. Yes. I love that. Yeah. It's just a beautiful yeah. picture of what discipleship would. And, and on that, truly what you said about the counseling relationship know when you need to yes. point them to someone else. Mm -hmm. Like we all have limitations yeah. about what we can know and how, what we can handle. So we just encourage you. Um, I'll also say this. It is not our job as disciplers to make another person grow. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so I am, do not feel like a failure if they don't grow. I mean, there, there's some sense. The analogy I actually use when I talk about discipleship um, is an old oak that's standing nice and strong and has weathered lots of years. And we take a younger sapling that's bent over because of the last storm and we tether them together. Mm. And so the older tree is helping the younger tree go, grow right simply by standing beside. Mm. It's still the sun and the rain that makes that tree grow. So God is the one who mm -hmm. is growing someone. We're standing beside with the years that have made us sturdy or stronger, and we're just standing beside. And I think there's a lot of freedom in that, 
Because when you think of yourself as someone standing beside, you don't have to solve their life. Yeah. You can't. You don't have to make them grow. You stand beside and point to Jesus. And I think there's a lot of rest in that. I have that a question so for good. you, Melissa. May yeah. I ask you a question? Ooh, turning the tables. No, well, only <laughs> these, Trillia. Only these. <laughs> well, as, as you were talking, I kept thinking, and I would love your perspective because she has written a book on this, and I have studied it, but she studied it. So what about weakness? Because one of the things that I have been just so appreciated from discipleship relationships is when they get real. Yeah. And we just kind of see, okay, like, not only are you standing beside, but you're really beside because yeah. you're a fellow journeyer, yeah. though you're ahead in, uh, in so far as years and experience and maybe Bible knowledge. Um, and so one of the things that I just, I've benefited from mm. is be, when, when people are really honest about where they are. However, I, I know that you can't do that with everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just wondered your thoughts on that because, because there are some relationships that you're, you're not going to develop that kind of... Yeah. So, so what, I'm yeah. just curious. Yeah, well, I think it takes time in yeah. some ways. Like, I don't think we live in a Instagram, Insta world, yeah. but I don't think you have to snapshot, you know, your worst moment and tell everything <laughs> at the beginning. However, I do think part of that hospitality mm-hmm. that Vanessa and you were both talking about is a willingness because part of maturity is knowing that we're all sinners mm-hmm. and we've all failed. So it's actually part of our maturity to be able to admit our weakness. Yeah. And being able to do that in a right way, um, showing what that repentance looked like. Oh yeah, I did. My husband and I got into a fight last night and I yelled at him. And then I went and apologized. You know, so being able to confess yeah. and repent, that's actually strength. Absolutely. You know, to show yeah. and you're modeling it. Praise the Lord, I think of this with my children all the time who were always right. discipling our children. But sometimes I have to go to them and apologize. And a lot of times I felt like this huge failure because of that. And then finally I realized, you know what? They're going to sin. And right now I'm modeling for them, what do I do with this problem called sin? Yep. I confess it, I repent of it, and I apologize. And that is a lesson for them to learn. And so I think that's so good. Even our weakness, maturity can admit weakness. I agree. It's actually immaturity that has to hide. So I that's agree. a great point. I think that's just a really good, good question. Trilly. Thank you. Good question. <laughs> um, okay, so some, let, Courtney, I'm going to start with you on this one. Any practical tips on discipling others? And some of these you may have already gotten to, but what have you learned through the years? Like, how do you disciple differently now right. than maybe you did right. years ago? Yeah. Well, I think I want to answer that in two different ways. So the first way I want to answer it, practical tips for creating a culture of discipleship in your local church. So a more systemic, um, maybe from the the point of a leadership role, I would say that what you were saying earlier, that we talk all the time about, we love this word organic. We just want these relationships to develop organically. Well, they don't always happen organically. And I don't know that organically it creates an entire culture. They may be one-offs over here and there. But if you are in a position where you can create that culture or participate in creating that culture in your church, then I think that 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 right balance or that right tension between saying that there needs to be enough structure provided, so maybe that's we're going to offer three training times or we're going to offer... 
um, some some opportunities for women to get together or men. I mean, I'm you know I'm so used to just speaking in women's ministry, but but that we're going to offer some times for for couples or for gender specific discipleship pairs to meet and to get together. We're going to offer the structure and we're going to support them in a way of saying, here are some areas that discipleship tends to gravitate towards. So marriage, family, Bible study, learning to read the Bible, uh, just that life on life. So offering the resources for that so that people aren't going into it blind. That is where you can start creating that culture. So those are just some very practical tips. If we just step back and say, I just want it to happen organically, it, it really, it, I, I've never seen it take traction like that in a way that is a the systemic traction for your entire group, for your entire church. But then just personally, some practical tips that I think are important is one thing we just keep saying over and over again is just that welcome. Hey, come be part of my life. So I, I love discipleship relationships. I love being in discipleship relationships. And they do take a, they do take a variety of, of different forms. But I, I can think of young women that have literally just sat at my kitchen island while I chopped Brussels sprouts mm -hmm. and, you know, got dinner ready. Or a woman that, you know, she'll run errands with me and just get in my car. And so that relational piece where we're not just, we're not just watching somebody on social media and reading their posts. Now, there, there is some good that comes out of that. But the difference is, you know, you don't get to be in that person's car when she's cut off in traffic. <laughs> my, my friends, they're in my car. They see who I am when I'm cut off in traffic and it's not pretty. And then they see me repent. So it's a, there's a holistic approach or, or when the, you know, the phone call interrupts or whatever. So there's this life on life that cannot be replicated if we're not truly in relationship with each other. So you all offer some more, but those are, I would say systemically, that, that, those are some practical tips. And then mm -hmm. just that welcome of, hey, come be a part of what I'm doing. Yeah. Because my, it's Karen Ellis preached on um, Friday night and mm -hmm. she said, your, your due has to match your say. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of our due matching our say. Mm -hmm. That's good. Can't tell yeah. if you're not in life on life. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's so good, Courtney. Uh, because what I'm hearing all throughout what you're saying is proximity. Mm -hmm. Proximity. And, and that requires the, the local church. That that proximity, that being up close and personal and being folded into my life, not being held at a distance or not watching me on a screen, but seeing me in those intimate actions, those processes of life is, is where Jesus pulled the disciples to. They came and followed him. They were up close and personal. So that proximity matters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when I was hearing both you, Courtney, and Melissa, you've talked about systems and organization, and I couldn't help but think, how helpful that will be for the person who isn't bold mm -hmm. to have, right. you're not going to lose your right. people mm -hmm. okay. if you have something in yeah. place for them, yeah. because I'm going to go and I'm going to find my people. I'm going <laughs> to, but not everyone is. Yeah. My husband's a good example. He's going to find maybe one person, but he's, he's not going to run around trying to find disciplers, yeah. you know? And so, but having a system and a structure, I think is going to help all the people with all their various gifts and personalities, and, and so I just have, that's what I thought, is I think that's, it's essential to serving the body of Christ. Yeah. Loving in them. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Absolutely. And one other practical tip I, I would say is look for people in your immediate context and choose to be in contexts that are broad. 
Meaning, if you're only in people in your own life stage, it's going to be hard to find people to reach back to or to draw from. So be really thoughtful about the Bible study you join. You know, if you want to meet older people, are there any older people in the Bible study? Or are they all your age? Like, or if you want to meet younger people, are you willing, as a 60-year-old, to go to the 25-year-old Bible study? You know, and just do that and say, I'm here and I'll help in any way I can. So putting yourself in a position where you can meet people, I think, is a huge thing. The other thing I would say is invite people into your own ministry. Sometimes I know our ministry lives get so full that we think, how on earth can I do one more thing? And, you know, I, I told this story last week, and I actually was, I was working on a Bible study, and to be quite honest, I didn't want to write the whole thing. And so I asked this younger friend if she wanted to help me, help write it with me. And that started this whole mentoring relationship mm. as I helped her learn how to write questions, but she was also helping me. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing it together. And I would say more good fruit happened over doing ministry together than actually me just sitting and asking her questions about her life all the time. So mm. joining in together and say, hey, come alongside with, come alongside me as we do this. And you know, you're not gonna teach all eight weeks of Sunday school. But come and teach one week. Come and teach one week, and then I'll give you feedback, and I'm going to help you. And that's just a great way to do that life on life. And that, I want you to see, that is how the church is built. If I never say no, someone else never gets to say yes. Mm -hmm. So part of this is understanding we're all limited. Mm -hmm. And when I say no, it lets someone else step up to the, to the plate, so to speak. Even if it's just one week, we don't give them the whole eight weeks or whatever. And yeah. what you're saying is not just, I'll say no so you can say yes. You're saying, I'm going to say yes, but come with me and do it. And I know people that won't step into ministry responsibilities without bringing someone else with them. And that is where we are passing on the ability really to equip the saints for the work of ministry, because we're saying, come do it with me. That's one of the most powerful discipleship models. And Melissa, one other thing you've said multiple times is, as you're reaching up or reaching down, sort of, in your, and I think along those lines, we had a professor in seminary who would always say, that's how you go through life. This was, he would stand in front of the classroom, and he'd say, you always have one hand up, and you always have one hand down. And it was so convicting, because I think we tend to think, well, until I'm X years old, I am the one that will be discipled, and then once I hit this magical age, then I'm going to be the one that's discipling. Well, I think we're always both. Uh, I think that we are always, we're we're even modeling that we never outgrow the need for someone else to disciple and to teach us. And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody older. Mm -hmm. I learn, the older I get, the more I realize that my, my pool of who I'm learning from, they're getting younger, but I'm learning a lot from these, from these women and, so, and men. Um, but that, that we aren't just in one role or the other. Yeah, 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 that's good. And I would also say that just inherent to the gospel, the Great Commission, is the, the charge to disciple other ethnic groups mm. and mm. perhaps to be discipled by other ethnic groups. And so having some intentionality around that. So when, he's, when Christ says to teach all nations, all ethne, all ethnic groupings, mm. uh, man, that means there is something that we learn cross-culturally that is so beautiful in the body of Christ. Yeah. And so being intentional about that, yeah. some of my best mentors have been cross-cultural mm -hmm. 
Um, there's this Australian guy right now that I'm pursuing to help to help me, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep bugging him until he's, he, uh. he he helps me. But yeah, so uh, yeah, <laughs> but that's uh, that's inherent to the the Great Commission. Mm. Uh, I think good. that's so important, and I'm gonna echo that because racism. I just one of the joys I had when I became a Christian is that a young white woman shared the gospel with me, and then I was longing for those relationships that were diverse, and the Lord allowed me to be in a relationship with um, these gals. And we did, we did accountability, so it was a little bit more like friendship, but yeah. there, we were a lot of discipling because um, Amy, she's white, and then Lillian, she's Chinese, and me, black. And so we had this multi-ethnic kind of discipleship. We learned so much from each other, and it was so beneficial because we had all these different perspectives and life experience. And, and Amy was the, the oldest in the faith. And so she, she, so she was like the same age, but oldest in the faith because I had just become a Christian. And so there was still a mentorship and discipleship. For sure. Yeah, because of her age in the, in, as a Christian. So well, you have just, a, Trillia, you have a great quote in your book, and I'm not going to do it justice, but in United, you talk about the beauty of seeing, uh, and uh, the example is a CEO, a corporate CEO being mentored or discipled by uh, a younger, and it was, it, I, I don't remember, it was like a majority culture man being mentored by um, a minority. person of color. Yeah. And, but so beautiful because they both knew that the younger person of color was the more spiritually mature. Do you remember that quote? I do. Yes. I do. And I, I do. don't remember who said it, but it was yeah. absolutely yeah. beautiful. And it's so true. So age doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily the defining mark of who's going to mentor whom. And to Vanessa's point, we absolutely need to be learning from a wide variety mm. of people and mm. perspectives. And so I, I really, mm. I love that, that we need, it's the spiritual maturity. That's yeah. who's going to mentor, yeah. and the, the less spiritually mature is the one that will be. Well, this is good because it kind of does get us to, and truly, I'm going to start with you. What is the goal of all this? Why is it so important? Is this just, let's have coffee together so we feel better about ourselves <laughs> yeah. and, you know, feel good, you know, just get to know one <laughs> another. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what, why, are, why do we do this? Because it's going to, honestly, it's going to cost us something. Yeah, it's going to cost to learn from other people and to listen to other people and to be bold with other people. It costs, it co and they may not go well sometimes. Yeah, they yeah. may say, "I don't like what you're telling me. <laughs> I'm out." Yeah. So why do we do this? We have a race. There's a race set before us, and we cannot mm. run it alone. And God never intended us for us to. Yeah. So kind of like the beginning where Vanessa mm -hmm. defined all of this, we are being transformed to the image of Christ. And so as we are becoming more and more like him, we need others to teach us. It's of eternal significance. Absolutely. So that is why. And if you try to obey the, the, the scriptures in isolation, good luck with that. I mean, there's so many things, one another's. And so we need one another as well. So God has called us to a body, to a church. And it is, we cannot, we're not going to finish the, the race alone. So I just believe it, it's, it's eternal. Like there's an eternal significance. And, and that's, what, what, that's what's going to motivate us because we, we, we long to see Jesus and we long for everyone to, or we should. Yeah. And so that, I think, is why this is so important. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Any yep. other final thoughts on why we do this? Why is it worth it? 
just fresh off of James. You know, we just came from the women's conference, right? Exactly. And so fresh off of James, so that we might be full, complete, um, yeah. mature and complete, lacking, lacking nothing. nothing, which implies that when we have not reached that maturity, we're lacking something. There's a fullness that the Lord has for us in discipleship that is so good and so beautiful. Yeah. And then, as Trillia said, it has eternal significance. Uh, as John said, then we, we will one day be like him, for we will see him as he is. Mm. And then that is the fullness of that beauty. That's so good. Any final? No, I mean, we can't do it alone. I, yeah. I look yeah. at my, yeah. I actually yeah. became a believer in middle school and mm -hmm. didn't really come to know the Lord and at, until after college. And, and what was lacking in those years mm -hmm. was any discipleship at all. Mm -hmm. So profession of faith, I think it was real faith. And, and then nothing, and, and to know the void in my life during those years, because nobody was, it wasn't anybody, it was, I was not in proximity, I wasn't in a church, I wasn't, and so the lack of it in my own life compels me because I know the need for it. Yeah. Um, I've seen it both ways. I've seen what my life and my walk with the Lord looks like with somebody discipling me, and I've seen what my life looks like without somebody discipling yeah. me, and it's all the difference yeah. in the world. Yeah. And I would just close with, you never know which ones will stay the long haul. Like I've discipled certain people. It was for a short season and then it moved on. But I can also say that the woman I led that Bible study with, she had come into my life because my, one, of my, my, one of my college roommates called and said, I had the best babysitter. And you know that, that's like gold when you're a mom. You're like, get the best babysitter. Okay. And she said to so this girl, I called her and she started babysitting for my kids. She was single. She was 22. And I was... I don't know how old I was. I had two kids. And so she walked with me um, all through my young child years. And we just got to know each other. We prayed together regularly. We started writing Bible study together. She went to seminary. She would come to my house and it was so refreshing to me. You know, so I'm pouring into her in some ways as the older woman. But you know, everybody I'm around is talking about diapers and feeding schedules. So to get to talk to her about her systematic theology class was joy to me. And then we wrote this Bible study together. And now um, she lives five houses down from me. And she got married later in her 30s. And now my home is full of teenagers. And her home is full of little children who run into my house. My children used to run to her and say, Miss Angela, Miss Angela. Now I go to her kids and they run to me, and I have no little children anymore. And so it's just this beautiful picture. I couldn't have known when she started coming into my life a long time ago that we would have this friendship that ended up with her as my neighbor. But the beauty of this life on life, it just progresses and grows, and we've gotten to share all these seasons together. And so I just encourage you, it is a blessing to pour in, but we receive back just as much as we pour in. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.